Mother's Day is coming. And if you don't get mom the perfect gift, she won't be angry, just disappointed. So go with drinks from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Send favorites near, far, or to wherever the moms in your life are. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get the best drinks to the best moms and plenty of time for Mother's Day. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. What's up, friends? Welcome back to the New Evangelicals Podcast. It's so good to be with you. Thank you for listening to my voice through your speakers, into your ears. That means a lot. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode because I'll tell you what, I have a doozy for you. I brought on Rabbi Mike Harvey, who wrote the book, Let's Talk, A Rabbi Speaks to Christians. Okay, if you're like me growing up in evangelical spaces, you think you understand Judaism. Right, You think you understand the Old Testament and how it works. And then Rabbi Mike comes on their, your podcast and blows all of your categories. And then you read his book and you're like, oh my God, I knew so little, but, but I was convinced I knew so much about a tradition that I never was a part of. So I cannot recommend this episode and his book enough. Make sure you pick it up. I would love your feedback on this episode. I think I want to get Rabbi Mike um, on one of our Theology 101 Zoom classes to kind of walk us through um, a crash course into Judaism because we as Christians, I think, have this complex where we think we understand a, this tradition, but in reality, we really don't. So thank you, Rabbi Mike, for your work. It was great having you on the podcast. That being said, as always, thank you so much for supporting the show and the work that we do as an organization. By the way, I didn't mention this when it happened, but we recently passed 100 episodes on the podcast. Amazing. And thank you for making this work possible. It's so crazy to me that so many of you listen to the show. It, it, it is humbling. I don't take it lightly, and it means the world. If you want to be part of a live podcast recording, we are doing our first ever in-person podcast event with Mike from Mad Priest Coffee. I know you all love Mad Priest Coffee. And April Joy, who's a hilarious influencer, um, ex-evangelical, you know, staple in our community. She's coming down in Chattanooga, Tennessee to do a live recording with me and Mike. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to hang out with you. You're going to meet other people in this community in person. Now, the space we got is very small, and we did that, we did that intentionally. We want to feel intimate and close and cozy, so I really recommend getting tickets as soon as possible. It's December 16th in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The link is in our show notes. The link is in our bio on Instagram. You can get the link wherever you find our work. Pick up your tickets. Show up so I can meet you. We can hang out. It's going to be a good time. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to walk down the aisle and pray the prayer again just to make sure that we're saved. I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying. It's going to be a great time. So like I said, pick up tickets. Link is in our show notes or link is in our bio on Instagram. Wherever you find us, links are there. Get tickets. Show up. Let's have a good time. I cannot wait. All right, friends. Without further ado, here is my episode with Rabbi Mike Harvey. Talk to you later. 
Let me ask you a question. Do you have a hard time picking up and reading a Bible because your faith tradition ruined it for you, but you want to approach the Bible in a fresh way? Bibliotheca is a Bible that invites you to engage with the text in a totally different way, the way its ancient readers would have experienced it. Unlike a typical reference Bible that looks and feels like a dictionary, these books look and feel like inviting literature. You get five cloth-bound volumes, no chapters or verse numbers, no cross-references, no notes. Bibliotheca is currently taking pre-orders for another print run, and if you order now, you'll get special early bird pricing, and guess what? Big news, your purchase will support TNE, that's us, as well. Use the code TNE22 when you check out, and $20 of every pre-ordered set will go toward the work that we do here at TNE. That is a win-win. Again, visit bibliotheca.co or check the link in our show notes, and be sure to use the code TNE22 when you check out. Thanks. All right. I got to be honest. I was telling you, uh, Rabbi Mike, before we started recording, this truly is an honor to have you on the show. I've had... Um, I've been following you on Twitter for a long time, and I got your book. Uh, it's called A Rabbi Speaks to Christians, Let's Talk by Michael Harvey. And I, I got to be honest, I, I blew through this book in just a few days, which like I told you before we started recording, having two children, it's not easy to do. But I really could not put it down. So first, I want to say a sincere thank you for writing the book, because Growing up in white evangelical conservative spaces, there were a lot of questions I had but didn't know who to ask, and also just a lot of misconceptions, frankly, I had about Judaism. And you really helped me get kind of like a, an itch of like, ooh, I want to learn more um, a, a, a about this beautiful religion because I had some really big misconceptions. So thank you for writing it. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I've I've always um, you know since we met and spoke, I, I've really uh, enjoyed our interactions. It's wonderful to speak to you, um, you know, electronically face to face. And I appreciate your words because that's the goal of the book. You know, it's not an exhaustive, um, you know, reference book that's eight hundred pages. It's a quick two hundred pages. The goal isn't to provide you with an exhaustive, you know, answer to all questions, but to get you inspired to ask more questions, to engage in more study in something that you were like, holy moly, I never knew that. Let me look it up. Those sorts of things. And if that did that for you, then that's exactly what the book is supposed to do. So I'm thrilled that that it had that uh, effect on you. I think the word I would use is, is super accessible. It's just such an accessible book that anyone, whether they're an avid reader or they have to do it for their job or they just like to read or just curious, it, it's great. And I, I think I saw, are you doing an audio book on this soon as well? Is that coming? Yes, I am. So the book is available in paperback, paperback Kindle, and um, we are in the process of recording an audio book. And actually, the voice for the audio book will be my father. Who was doing this? Wow. He is a, he's a voice actor. And when he heard that I had a book, he was like, Can I do the voice? And I was like, Of course you can, Dad. So he's now recording it right now. I would say within a you know a month or so, um, we should have it ready up on ACX, which means it'll go to Amazon, it'll go to Audible, it'll go to all those places. Um, so yeah, look for that, I would say within the next six to eight weeks. Um, but we're so excited. Uh, to have it go that way. We know that there's people who love audiobooks who have been waiting for the audiobook. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, each time I do something, I, you know, I put out the book and they're like, where's the Kindle edition? I'm like, here it is. They're like, where's the audio edition? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, I'm working, I'm working, you know, uh, but that just shows, um, you know, the interest. And so I'm more than happy to meet the needs of the people who would like to read the book. So yes, there will be an audio uh, coming up soon. Welcome to the world of content creation. It's never enough, Rabbi. It's yes, never enough. Yes. You know? <laughs> I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> um, we're, I, I, okay, so I have a lot of questions, but before we do that, we always like asking our guests, you know, how did they grow up? Now, usually what I ask people is, uh, did you grow up in the evangelical church? But clearly in your case, that is not is not the story here. So how <laughs> how did Rabbi Mike grow up? And then what what brought you to the point where you're like, you know what? We need a book. You know, written for Christians that's accessible about Judaism. Like, what what caused that? So, kind of give me that that story. Sure. Um, so, most of this story, in terms of the inspiration for the book itself and the creation of the volume, um, is right there in in the introduction. But I'll give some highlights to it. But that's something that I did want to write about and speak to as to why am I putting in the effort to do this? Why do I need to write it all down? But um, you know, I grew up in a um, a conservative Jewish household. When I say conservative, I don't mean politically. I mean of um, conservative Judaism, which is a stream of, of Judaism that lies within the observance factor between Reform and Orthodox. Um, it was a conservative household, um, but we went to a Reform synagogue. So I really uh, attached myself to Reform Judaism. Um, and, you know, Judaism was always passionate for me. And, uh, you know, through high school, through college, you know, it was always in the background. And then finally, I decided, you know, this was the passion that I was all about. So why not become a rabbi? And so I did just that. And I entered seminary in 2010. Um, I was, you know, 30 at the time or 29 at the time. Um, so I'm what you call a second career rabbi. Mm. Um, you know, I wasn't someone who knew I was going to be a rabbi for, you know, right out of college or whatever. And um, through my time as se uh, in seminary and after, I recognized very quickly that um, interfaith interaction, interfaith dialogue, interfaith education was something that energized me. Um, you know, I would do all the other things that a, that a reform rabbi would do. I would lead services. I would sing. I would play guitar. I'd teach Hebrew. I'd do bar and bar mitzvah training. And at the end of the day, I'd feel like, you know, like you are at the rest of, at the end of the day, you know, tired, uh, you know, exhausted. You look back at it. Whenever I would do interfaith work, I was never tired. I was pumped. I was energized. I would, you know, I had this adrenaline that just kept going and wanting more and more. And I, I started to chase that and started to find more and more opportunities throughout seminary. And then when I was a rabbi, uh, to build that, because that's really where that's what a passion feels like is you don't get tired. Uh, you know, this is, it's energizing. And so I was the head of every, you know, interfaith or, you know, uh, core or interfaith, you know, group that was wherever I was, you know, I was engaging in interfaith dialogue, no matter what I was doing. And I befriended and associated with a great deal of Christian clergy. So, you know, some became very close family friends, um, great colleagues, 
people who we spoke all the time. This was, you know, through seminary, through my congregational work, wherever I was, so much so that, um, you know, I became a resource in the community that I served. So West Lafayette, the last uh, congregation that I served, I was the resource there. It was, you know, there was a joke of like, ask Rabbi Mike, um, you know, if, if you're a Christian clergy person and you have a question about, you know, you forgot pronunciation or that biblical word or that Hebrew word because you're focused on Greek and Latin, like, I get it, no big deal. Um, call Rabbi Mike, he'll help you. You know, if you wanted to know uh, what was the Jewish perspective of a New Testament uh, verse, ask Rabbi Mike. If you want to know what was the Jewish understanding of an Old Testament or Hebrew uh, Hebrew biblical, right? Not a Christian interpretation. Ask me. And so I, I would love it. I would, you know, they'd write me emails, they'd call me and I would just, I would give them whatever information they needed. And more so I'd recommend books. I would teach at their churches. I'd give lectures, you know, whatever I could. And so I recognized, you know, these must not be the only good hearted, good intentioned, wonderful Christians who need a Jewish resource and are brave enough and humble enough and friendly enough to ask a rabbi to say, hey, you know, I want to teach the right thing. You know, I want to add your teachings to my teachings. Um, these cannot be the only people in the world in this little place in West Lafayette, Indiana. And so I started to compile it. I started to write it down um, and recognize what were some of the themes that I saw over and over again? What were some misconceptions that, you know, what were the things that I, I recognized right away? Oh, you know, people don't know this. And I started to realize, you know, what are the accidental uh, elements of anti-Semitism, you know, where, where with someone speaks in Christianese and doesn't necessarily know that they're being exclusionary or exclusive or anti-Semitic, um, and they're good-hearted and they're good intention and they don't mean to do it and Jews are getting offended, but we don't want that. Let me help you with that. You know, this book that came together, um, you know, it's not for the, you know, the rampant anti-Semitic jerk. I'm yeah. not out to change, try to change their minds. This yeah. book is for people who are like, holy moly, I had no idea that that was offensive. Thank you for telling me. Now I'll change. And that's how you build better Jewish Christian relations, respect on both sides. And so um, all of that together, uh, my passion, the things that occurred went right into putting this down on paper. Um, and there it is, you know, years <laughs> later, <laughs> here it is. Well, you're definitely in luck because you have you have quite the pupil here, quite the student who is just really <laughs> curious about so many of so much of what you said. And again, for the audience, I really can't recommend the book enough. It's really worth picking up. So, one of my first questions uh, that I, I honestly have is: is what exactly? And this is Big Tent now. I'm, I'm sure we'll get okay. into some more details. But what exactly is Judaism? Meaning, I can't tell. Is it a religion? Is it an ethnicity? Is it both? Because as a Christian, that's only, that's my only framework. I don't see myself eth ethnically as a Christian. I see myself religiously as a Christian. But is that the same thing in Judaism, or is it much different there? The, so I'll tell you that uh, this is big question, Big Tent. There are... Um, whole classes on a PhD level called what is Judaism? 
<laughs> Great. What did you do? <laughs> what are Jews? Like, I've taken them. Um, and it's that complicated. Now, the, the short answer is we are something that's called an ethno-religion, meaning that there are elements of ethnicity and religious aspects, which is very hard for people who are not in ethno-religions to understand. It's somewhere in that gray area between um, Jewish blood and conversion to Judaism, um, you know, and it's very hard to explain. Hmm. Uh, but when you're in it, you're just like, oh, I get it. And and most of the time, the best way to understand what is a Jew is to identify uh, things that make you not a Jew, right? Um, and so. Um, if you are Jewish by blood and you practice, you're Jewish, right? According to certain denominations. If you are Jewish by blood, you're Jewish um, regardless. Um, if it's um, matrilineal descent to some, you're Jewish. If it's patrilineal descent to some, you are to some, you aren't. Um, if you go through a particular kind of conversion, um, huh. you know, an Orthodox conversion, you are. To others say, you know, the reform conversion doesn't work, the conservative reform, you know. So it's, you know, it's um, two Jews, three opinions. And, um, you know, what I what I mean is to say to identify things that you are not is the number one thing that unites Jews is that we do not believe in Jesus. And if you do believe in Jesus, that's a sure way to know that you're not Jewish. Um, and um, even that has been um something we've had to fight for with the messianic evangelical mm. movement um but again uh that's the ethno part right where people say i'm jewish by birth or, or whatever it is um but you know there's jewish law in terms of well you're an apostate or you're whatever they you know and so there's basically ethnicity jewish law religious observance all mixed together um, we're not a, a race alone. We're not a religion alone. We're not a nationality alone. You know, we have a collective memory of some kind and um, you recognize each other. You know, you could walk into any synagogue in the world. You recognize each other, um, you know, but yeah, so it's I've taken those classes and um, they're hard. Or hard <laughs> I believe it. I mean, okay, yeah. that, that is helpful. Um, let's talk for a minute about um, the um, the Jewish scriptures, I guess. I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard of them in my tradition right, as the Old Testament, but your book kind of blows a lot of that out of the water. It's like, well, uh, what you think is the Old Testament and the Jewish scriptures are not necessarily the same thing. Can you kind of break down what that difference is and then what is considered uh, scripture in the Jewish community versus what we think as the, as the Old Testament as evangelicals. Sure, yeah. Um, so there's yeah, there's a chapter on this because it deserved its own chapter. Um, <laughs> so much so that you know when someone says to me, um, "Hey, we share the same book," I'm like, "Well, you need to read my book because that's not good. <laughs> so uh, you know." But that is one of the most popular misconceptions between Jews and Christians is don't we share the same words, right? It, right. Um, you know, don't we share the same God? Don't we share this? And the answer to that is no. Um, hmm. You know, the Christian God is different from the Jewish God and the old Testament is different from the Hebrew, Hebrew excuse me, the Hebrew scriptures. And the, 
you know, the the crux of the issue, yeah, um, you know, lies in the name, right? Um, when Christianity started to build the New Testament, right? Um, and I'm talking about when they started to codify it. This is in the, you know, later, not when the Gospels are, but when things were codified as new, mm. right? Um, that two things happened. One, um, the ideas of supersessionism and replacement theology came in because um, this was an old covenant. This is a new covenant. Um, with that, the words of the old covenant became old and the new ones became new. Uh, the second part is uh, acts of typology, which means that they began to reach back into Hebrew scriptures and pull them uh, and state within a theological way that everything in Hebrew scripture leads to Jesus or points to Jesus, right? right. Or hints to Jesus, right? Right, right. With that in mind, um, they're two very different volumes. Um mm. The Hebrew Tanakh of Torah, prophets, and writings is self-contained. doesn't lead to anything. doesn't hint to anything. It's a library. Um, we don't believe that it's messianic. We don't believe that it, you know, points to anything except, um, you know, our history, allegory, literary, whatever you want to, you know, say about it. But, um, you know, there's nothing that needed to go afterward after mm. it um that that is to say that things did come after it um and um, things like the mishnah and the talmud rabbinical texts that were built uh and midrash of interpretation of the laws and the stories within the torah and the tanakh were used and interpreted by the rabbis who were descendants of the pharisees um, which became the oral law. So you have the written law and you have the oral law. And the oral law eventually got written down, you know, codified between the second and the fifth century CE. Those laws, and this is the part, again, that um, Christians have a hard time with, right? Christians hmm. are very biblical, right? This is biblical Judaism and biblical Christianity. <laughs> right. Um, there's no such thing as biblical Judaism anymore, right? Once huh. the temple was destroyed in 70 CE, Something new had to be created, and using the oral law, um, it was transformed into a brand new sort of understanding of observance away from sacrifice and the like, which means that um, there's more to Judaism, modern Judaism, um, that is inside the rabbinical interpretations of the Tanakh and the Hebrew Bible than the Hebrew Bible standing alone. That's not to say that the Torah isn't doesn't stand the Torah is the most sacred document within there. We read it every week. We pull things from it, but the interpretations and the things that build on it come from the rabbinic understanding. And so, um, you know, when Christians say, you know, doesn't this mean this? We go, well, no, um, we've, we've, you know, 500 years later, this guy said this and a thousand years later, this guy said this, and here we are. Um, and then finally, uh, the books themselves don't match. Right, they're in different orders uh, mm. for different reasons. Right, in the Christian Bible, um, the prophets come last because they're supposed to lead to something. They're leading mm. to Jesus. Um, 
for us, the prophets come in the middle because they're historically in, in the middle, you know, like <laughs> not leading to anything, <laughs> right. uh, you know, it, it ends with second Chronicles. Like who cares? You know, there's, <laughs> there's, there's just a, you know, it's just a library. And the second is, you know, uh, the other part of that rather is for us, you know, it's Hebrew to English or Hebrew to whatever it is, right? To your vernacular, but, but Hebrew nonetheless, right? Uh, the Christian Bible has gone through the game of telephone of Hebrew to Greek, Greek to Latin, Latin to English, right? Um, or Greek to English or, you know, all kinds of things. And the ambiguity of the and complexity of the words have been solidified by the translators um and so a word that we would read in the torah they're like well it could mean this and we think it means this whatever it is you can't do that when you're translating it to greek you pick one right you pick a root and that's the root and then same thing if you're going to latin and and you know with the catholics they had a latin translation till the 19 you know 60s or whatever like they hadn't they didn't care about the hebrew anymore like mm. they had set their translation right and so by now and then all the imagine all the interpretations that are built on the greek not the hebrew the latin not the hebrew um mm. entire religions were built on a particular translation of a particular text that we believe means something completely different uh because we understand the uh, an alternate translation or a different um uh, interpretation and our you know uh what I always talk about the our Jenga tower, yeah. right, is, is built on top of that. So our Jenga tower starts uh, with the Hebrew, and um, if you build a Jenga tower that starts some, with a different interpretation, there might be some similar aspects, but it's a different tower. You know, it's a huh. di it's completely different. Wow. Um. What I'm you know, it's very interesting because in my tradition, I was taught that that the quote-unquote Word of God, which includes the Christian Old Testament, New Testament, is inerrant, infallible, and you just have to read it, and you're good to go. And of course, it's unchanging. Um, but as I grew in my own faith tradition, I understood it's, it's not that simple, and translations have a, a major play in this. So it sounds like what I'm hearing you say, and please tell me if I'm wrong or not, or not hearing it, is that in Judaism, the rabbinic tradition of interpretation is is very much in in play with how we view or how you would view the Torah and the Hebrew scriptures. Is that kind of it, it's 100%. it's very authoritative as well, but can also be it's a conversation. It sounds like like we're kind of in yeah. in, in conversation with the past, the present to kind of predict or think about how we're going to go into the future. Is that kind of the idea? Correct. The idea of how to study was you know what questions. Um, what are the possibilities? What could this mean um, are always more important than this is what this means. Like there's no such thing as saying this is what this means. Um, the, the only thing in Judaism that we do have is this is what this rabbi said, and we think he's right. Um, but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> you know, even the ultra Orthodox have to bow to that, you know, a little bit like the, the Hebrew in the in the Torah, even if they believe that it came down from Sinai and it's perfect and been the same way, whatever it is, um, you know, and they they don't know anything about multiple manuscripts and scribal error and all that sort of fun stuff. Even if that is where they hold that, um, that Hebrew verse is in itself is ambiguous. You need a teacher 
to tell you what it means. And that teacher becomes the authority. And so um, the majority opinion within the Midrash or the Talmud becomes authoritative. And they're like, no, this is, you know, Rabbi said whatever said this, and this is what we believe because, and then the rabbis of the, of the oral law did the same thing saying, God, you know, told, you know, inspired me and, you know, or God inspired these rabbis. And so they've got the right answer, but there's nothing that says um, the text speaks for itself in Judaism. There's no such thing as that. Even the most simple verses are interpreted from a Hebrew point of view, from a contextual point of view, you know, from a poetic point of view, maybe it points to some other verse. Uh, there's always a conversation to be had. Uh, someone might say, this is the interpretation that we believe is authoritative. Right. Others will say, we disagree with that authority. We think this authority is better, or this minority opinion is better, or uh, now, now that science is involved in archaeology, we know that. But in the end, um, you know, saying well, this, the text is clear, there's no such thing. The text <laughs> isn't clear. The, the, the teacher is, you know, just as if you were, yeah. um, you know, in seventh grade when you're reading Shakespeare, right? You need a teacher to take you through it, um, you know, otherwise when that, when, you know, when Shakespeare says all the world's a stage, you, you don't say, oh, does he believe that the world is this wooden, you know, <laughs> box you stand on and there's an audience? You're like, right. no, no. <laughs> uh, judging by Shakespeare's use of words and idiomatic expressions and this is most likely what he means. Like, and you need that when you're studying Torah when you're studying the Bible, um, <laughs> yeah. because we're just not, you know, we don't have the tools necessary. Uh, you know, not, none of us are so divinely inspired that we can uh, say this, you know, this is the interpretation, at least in Judaism. Well, I mean, frankly, that's why many of us are leaving fundamentalist evangelicalism, because uh, people will claim that they're just, quote unquote, reading the text, but they're actually present, uh, presenting themselves as an authority figure on interpretation without saying that. And a lot of us are like, actually, you know, you're actually interpreting, which, again, we all have to do. We're humans. So I I, I, I see some commonalities in, in, in the concept, and I'm just thinking about how funny it is that from what you're telling me in Judaism, it's like it's accepted as this is how it works. But in my tradition, it's like you're a heretic progressive liberal you know it's just it's very interesting to see yeah. how they're how they're seen so differently you know well i mean listen we have we have in-house squabbling and we have you know no we think this is the authority and you're wrong and we're right <laughs> you know that of course we're humans the same way like you know right. um we, we get into big fights and big arguments arguments in fact jews are known for their arguments right um jews are known for their opinions and you know and um things that were clear-cut and you're like, every Jew must believe that. No way. There's someone, <laughs> there's some schmo in the audience who's going to say, no, I was talking, you know. And that's that's the beauty of text. And that's the, yeah. you know, what I say is Jews are first and foremost scholars is mm. that, you know, that's why we had libraries and libraries of, you know, these these commentaries, right? It's why the, the Talmud is 40 volumes long, right? And mm. then from the Talmud came other commentaries and then someone had to shorten it and give you the highlights of it in the Shulchan Aruch. And then there was Moses Maimonides who had to write his own. Inter I mean, like there is, you could drown in the verbiage and commentary because it is that discovery. It is that conversation that is what Judaism, you know, thrives mm. on. 
Um, yeah. You know, there's no question answer. I mean, there might be in preschool, um, <laughs> as I recall, you know, uh, you know, how, how did the animals come up to the Noah's Ark, right? Two right. By two. Right. Oh, right. Right. But, um, but when you get into real learning, adult yeah. education, you know, there, there's harder questions and a lot of, well, here's what some people say and here's what some people say and here's what I think just yeah. because I care what I think. But there, there's no such thing as a simple answer when, when speaking about um, text. And that's a big difference, right, is, you know, you don't see Jews with, you know, verses on signs because you'd need a, the back of the sign being like, what I mean by this. <laughs> Yeah. Rabbi, you know what I mean? Like all the fine uh, print, you know, right? Exactly. The fine print is be like, well, this verse, uh, well, out of context, and I'm not, you know, and um, so it does that. We we don't fit that, um, you know. Right. It, it wouldn't work, you know. Right. Honestly, there, that that is it's again just funny you're saying this because that that is a reason why you know for new evangelicals, there's a reason why I stopped doing that years ago. Like I. The, 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 Proof texting, right? That's the term that I call it anyway. It's not yeah. helpful. Like, it does not offer any good solution. But anyway, I digress. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. Mother's Day is coming. And if you don't get mom the perfect gift, she won't be angry. Just disappointed. So go with Drinks from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Send favorites near, far, or to wherever the moms in your life are. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get the best drinks to the best moms and plenty of time for Mother's Day. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Um, I wanted to ask you about... And again, my, my really my only framework is Christianity. So I'm just trying to to find like the commonalities here. Um, are there like different denominations or like sects of Judaism? And are are there right. like are there? I'm sure there's a, maybe a lot, but are there are there some big like sections that they have fragments inside of that? How does that work? Yes, hundred <laughs> percent. You know, one of the one of the things that I tell you know when I meet uh, Christians and they're like, "Why don't you wear the the, the hat and where's your beard and like where the whatever it is. And I say, look, guys, you know, there's 40,000 denominations of Christianity. (laughs) Why on earth would you think that there's only one kind of Jew? Like, what are you crazy? Uh, You know, (laughs) sometimes Uh, we are, honestly, it's a problem. Yeah. You know, uh, the truth is, yes, uh, there is a great spectrum of Judaism and denominations and sects and, and, and all of that, obviously on a much smaller scale, right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're 0.02 or 0.0 whatever percent of the, world population you got billions but um yes you know there have been since the beginning right even in first century you had pharisees sadducees you know all the essenes um that all continued and there's always been multiple kinds of judaism today in american judaism because there's it's different throughout the world you know they're called different things there's whatever it is in american judaism The largest denomination is my denomination, Reform Judaism, um, which has always been an underlying current, but but became official in the 18th century. Hmm. Um, The smallest right now is is what's called conservative Judaism, which is was in the middle between Reform Judaism and Orthodox Judaism. Orthodoxy 
in its in its main understanding also began to form around that time, 18th century, 19th century. Um, and so what you saw was a split um, around that time, uh, very similar to the Reformation. We had our own, mm-hmm. uh, what we call the Haskalah, our own enlightenment, where yeah. uh, the idea was, well, we can, we can go to uh, secular schools and we can interact with uh, people of different re- religions and we can study logic and science and archaeology and, you know, and let's get going. And that eventually became one of the major big blocks of Judaism. The other side said, no, we have to keep to ourselves. We have to study by ourselves, we, you know, whatever it is. And that became a big block. And then, of course, between that became little branches that said, well, we can a little bit, but not that much. Sure. And then like, no, this is too much, but not enough. And then you have, so eventually you have things like, um, recon- so you, you know, my, you have, you know, reform, conservative and orthodox are the big three ones. Right. And then in between conservative and reform became uh reconstructionist and in between reconstructionist and reform became renewal. And then there's all the way over here and you have, um, uh, what's the, uh, uh, oh goodness. Uh, the humanist, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, or whatever it is. Then you've got the Orthodox and there's, um, well, how how Orthodox and how separate are we going to be? There's ultra-Orthodox and there's modern Orthodox, but then modern Orthodox wasn't modern enough, so there's open Orthodox. And then in between the ultra-Orthodox, right, you've got Hasidic and Haredim and Shahs and all, you know, is it, and then there's Israeli and then there's, you know, Masorti and then there's all, you know. Oof. So the answer is yes, there's tons of different kinds of Jews. We, we, um, if you think, you know, there's differences, but, you know, in arguing that occurs between Jews and Christians, imagine Jews and Jews saying, no, our guy's right and your guy's wrong and wrong, you know, um, and how could you do this? It's not right, you know, and of course, in every religion, right, those on the on the farthest of observance, right, on the what we would call the right, you know, or whatever it is believe they hold the authority and everybody else is not doing the right thing. <laughs> right. All of us over here on the left say, listen, you do whatever you want to do. Judaism is open. This is what we do. It's an open interpretation. And they're like, how could you do that? And we're like, how could you be so rigid? Um, you know, and you have no idea what you're talking about. And I guess we do, you know, and, uh, you know I've heard you know, that before in my own circles, you know, <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, so the answer is yes. Um, and, um, and then within each of those denominations, you know, no denomination holds a particular kind of Jew. Um, you know, Reform Judaism has its own spectrum of observance, right? I mean, mm. um, Reform Judaism teaches informed choice, which means that you can choose a level of observance based on your learning and what is passionate to you. So if mm. you want to keep kosher and observe dietary laws, do it, but learn about it and understand why. If you say, I've learned about it, but that's not something that speaks to me, don't do it. Um, you know, and, you know, of course, the Orthodox are rolling around, you know, screaming at us. But, um, you know, every denomination, um, you know, try every person, every Jew tries to find a home. Um, and if they don't have a phone, home, they start a new one. And that's okay um, huh. in this very similar ways. Um, you know, with Christianity, the one thing that I will say that is different yeah. um, about this um, sort of, um, you know, schism of 
uh, you know, denominations and things like that is the only the only group who has dared to utter the words "you're not really Jewish" anymore is the ultra orthodox. Um, mm. And whenever they say that, they're condemned by everyone. Even you know, I mean, like because Judaism is an ethno religion. Oh. The state that because you are a Reformed Jew or a conservative Jew, you're not actually Jewish, is so problematic wow. that some have the chutzpah to do it. Um, it happens. You know, some in the Israeli government will say it. Um, you know, but that is the only incident where you will see those words. Right? You're not a real Jew, or you're not Jewish. And once that when that happens, it's like, what do you? You know, like crazy, right? Uh, that is in uh, you know in direct uh, conflict with what we see in Christianity, where the idea of fake Christians, false Christians, real Christians is rampant. Yeah, um, and you know, there's one thing that uh, Jews have: it's accountability for mm. each other. Mm. And so, if there's a Jewish serial killer, yeah, he was Jewish. You know, I don't know how observant he was, but right. I'm not going to say he wasn't a real Jew. Right. Um, you know, right now there's, you know, IDF soldiers who are doing atrocities. They're Jewish. They suck as people, but they're Jewish. Hmm. You know, there's no such thing because we're an ethno religion as saying that person is fake. They're not a real Jew. Like we may say that the things that they're doing don't uh, coincide with what we understand to be Jewish values. But we would never say they're not like they're a fake. There's no such thing as a fake Jew. Mm. Um, and so that also, when we were talking about earlier about how an ethno religion is so hard for Christians to understand, right? It flips around and saying like the idea of a fake Christian is so hard for Jews to understand. Like, what are you? What are you talking about? Of course they're Christian. Like you know. Um, and so those are those conflicts and confusions that occur because of the difference between what Judaism is and what Christianity mm, is. Wow. That's really helpful. You know, it's interesting. I live in New Jersey and in Lakewood, New Jersey, there's a very, um, a very, uh, large Hasidic Jew, uh, community. So, so that's my, my really, that's my only interaction with, I guess, uh, is that, uh, Orthodox Judaism? Is that, is that what you said it is? Um, what's that say? Which, yeah. which one? Uh, I said that, uh, in, I grew up in, uh, in New Jersey, there's a town called Lakewood. Yeah. There's a very, uh, pretty large Hasidic Jewish population there. Hasidic, yes, yes. Yes. So I, I've, I've yeah. passed them. I've even worked for them. My, my, my dad used to be a painter. They, they would hire us. So that was like one of my uh, growing up as a kid, just kind of like, okay. And I, I've always been curious, like, like where, where they land, I guess on the spectrum of, of being, uh, Jewish. And so Hasidic Jews are more in the Orthodox Community is that what you were saying earlier? Yes. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Again, I, it is interesting. You know, it's one of those things, uh, Rabbi, where it's like, wait a second. You're of course it would be a spectrum, and they would have disagreements. But I was just kind of brought up to believe like Jew. That's it. Just it, it's, right. There, there's 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 no diversity here. No difference. Like this is what Jews believe about this. So this is speaking for all of them. You know. So right. even having you kind of break down the different. Uh, sex and denominations has been very helpful. Uh, while we have some time left, I want to get into 
some of the big um first of all i want to i want you to break down the difference between anti-jewish and anti-semitic so i've seen you talk about sure. that before and yeah. and and then i want to get into maybe a few i you know i'm not sure how much time we'll have i want to get into at least one or two of like the big um um faux pas that christians commit uh probably unintentionally but definitely can be either anti-jewish or anti-semitic depending on what it is so first to find those differences and then we'll hop into it sure no problem so you'll see in my teachings um that i talk about things that are anti-jewish that occur um in the new testament there are anti-jewish sentiments anti-jewish rhetoric anti-jewish verse um and I make very clear that these are not anti-Semitic, they are anti-Jewish. Right. So what is that? What is the difference? Yeah. Right? Anti-Semitism was coined much later, um, I think uh, 19th century, something like that. Um, and um, it is hatred of Jews, basically. Um, you know, people get confused saying, well, it's of the Semitic people. Does that include Arabs? Does that include Muslims? You know. No, um, there's Islamophobia and then there's anti-Semitism. Hmm. Um, anti-Semitism is Jew hatred, but um, and anti-Semitism is what leads to discrimination and death and all these horrible things that have that have occurred. Yeah. Um, that being said, it is not um, appropriate to call particular verses in the New Testament anti-Semitic because anti-Semitism, at least in its purest form, um, is with malice and, um, you know, has an intention to hurt. Um, and so uh, what I call accidental anti-Semitism, we'll talk about later in terms of the faux pas, but sure. anti-Jewish, um, you know, what that speaks to basically is that when Christianity was being formed um, within the first century, you have uh, some really important political motivations and um, self-preservation aspects that are happening. You know, imagine that, um, you know, you're whoever you are as Mark, the gospel writer in 72 CE um, or later in, you know, in, in the eighties with Matthew, and you've just seen um, a rebellion by Jews against a big empire. The empire comes in, wipes out the temple, kills millions goes down as far to uh Qumran to wipe them out too you know um and sets down the iron fist um and then later right even past us they do it again with Bar Kokhba and all this other stuff so imagine you are trying to build something out of Judaism but it's too dangerous to associate directly with Judaism you want to be something to make sure that the Romans distinguish between Jews and you. So you'll see in the Gospels some anti-Jewish passages, right? Whether they be, um, you know, new interpretations of Jewish law to mean this or whatever it is, or more likely, you could call them anti-Jewish pro-Christian. Right, because they're they're not trying to be, um, you know, they're not being evil. They're not being mm. with malice. They're working through self preservation. Mm. So they can't make Rome the bad guy, for instance, in the Passion narrative, because Rome would read it and go and kill everybody. Right. So who is the common enemy 
between a competing sect of, of new re religion, Jewish Christians, and the Romans, the Jews, right? So if you make the Jews the bad guy, um, you're okay, and you distinguish them, say, no, no, we're not those guys, we're these guys. That's not that's not the same as anti-Semitism. That's building something that is pro-you, anti-them. So that's anti-Jewish, right? Um, anti-Semitism was built on that later, right? Mm -hmm. um, anti-Semitism comes with understanding of, you know, the charges of deicide and, you know, passion plays and, you know, uh, the ideas of usury or stereotypes and all that sort of stuff that eventually lead to, you know, pogroms and crusades and inquisitions and the Holocaust. That's anti-Semitism is, mm. you know, global conspiracies and subhuman idea. That's anti-Semitism. The mm. words in the gospel aren't anti-Semitic. They're anti-Jewish mm. because they're, they're trying to build something that is a little bit Jewish, but not. Um, and so they're they're pro-Jewish Christian, but pro-Jewish Christian means nothing to people because most people don't even understand what the gospel writers were. They'll say, weren't they Jewish? No, they weren't Jewish. They were um, they were something different. Um, Interesting. You know, and so that to me is really important because when people say the New Testament is anti-Semitic, I said that's not necessarily true. Certainly the New Testament has led to anti-Semitism. That mm. can't be denied. Mm. Um, but the but the texts inside. Um, you can argue that some of, some of John's writing are, is very hateful, but most of the time it's, it's anti-Jewish, not for terrible reasons, but for separating yourself from what was a dangerous person to be at that time. Mm. So how, what is your advice to you know, right now you're talking to people who pro probably grew up pretty fundamentalist, evangelical, Bible said it, that, said, that settles it kind of thing. We're trying to explore the Christian tradition. We're trying to be more honest about our own scriptures and, and about the Bible. We hear uh, you say this, right? And, we go, and my first thought is like, so what do I do with this now? You know, like when, when I'm reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and I'm seeing, and now, now that you're giving me the framework of like, okay, this is anti-Jewish. How how would you recommend Christians approach really their own text now in light of that? Because I don't want to be someone who is anti-Jewish, right, or leads to anti-Semitism, right. but it's in there. But also, I see them as as definitely helpful teachings, and in some ways, still kind of inspired in some loosely in some loose way these days. What do we? What what would you say we should do with that? Um, besides read the book. I mean, that's sort of like, you know, yeah. like <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, Self-promotion, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, if you want to read the book, great. But, you know, the truth is, is find yourself a teacher. Yeah. Right. Because. And I, I say this with a great deal of respect that the the only thing that I would say the vast majority of Christians know about Judaism comes from a Christian lens of judaism in other words they if you've only read um the gospels and the new testament you have a completely skewed understanding of first century judaism judaism as a whole modern judaism that's really incorrect historically mm. incorrect mm. um you know sheds people in a negative light misconceptions all over the place because it was written by people who didn't want to be associated with judaism and had problems with judaism and was trying to separate it from it yeah. Um, 
you know, making Jews the bad guy. In other words, so, you know, if you're going to read a book about the, you know, the history of Judaism through the lens of people who didn't like Jews, you're going to end up not liking Jews. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. unfortunately uh, the aftermath of the New Testament in its, in its creation is that Christians only understand Judaism through the eyes of a Christian, not yeah. through the eyes of a Jew, um, which, as you can see, over the past 2,000 years has been very problematic. Yes. So um, you need to find a Jewish teacher who can take you through Jewish history and Jewish belief, Jewish texts and understanding um, without those you know, glasses on and be open to it and be able to say, holy moly, were the Gospels wrong? Mm. Well, I know that's going to be hard. It's not that they were wrong. It's that, that they had a particular agenda when they mm. were being just like anything else. Um, and you need to separate yourself from that. Yeah, that's great. All right, let's hop into a few of these things that I think uh, Christians, including myself, have been very guilty of that maybe unintentionally didn't even realize could be anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic. One of the biggest ones I think of right away is the Pharisee trope. Right, like, oh my goodness, that is such a you know the Pharisees were were this or that. Can can you maybe unpack some of that for us and why that is a very unhelpful and also very offensive thing to say, especially sure. uh, to a Jew? Yeah, absolutely. And um, in my, um, I do speak a little bit to this in the book. Um, in the next book I'm writing right now, I'm going to do a great deal more about it. A, you know, a whole section on it. Um, but I'll tell you within my research right now, um, I've got books in front of me that are called Recovering Pharisees, Accidental Pharisees, Pharisotomy, like how to remove a Pharisee from who you are. And they're the most offensive thing, you know, Jeez. you can see. And, and most people say, why? What are you talking about? Well, two reasons. Um, one, Pharisees are Jews. Um, they were Jews. Um, and while there are no more Pharisees now, it was the Pharisees who survived the destruction of the temple, became the rabbis, built the Midrash, the Mishnah and the Talmud, and built the foundation of modern Jews everywhere. In other mm. words, every Jew everywhere on the planet, um, with the exception of the Karaites, um, you know, is Pharisaic Judaism. Mm. So um, by saying, you know, don't be a Pharisee, you're saying two things. Um, from one Christian to another, and here's where it gets really offensive, right? Mm. One Christian to another saying you're being a Pharisee or here's how not to be a Pharisee, you're, you're saying stop being so Jewish, right? you're being too Jewish, mm. um, which in itself is a slur, you know, right. which has its own really problematic elements. But second, remember again, how Pharisees are portrayed in the new Testament, in the gospels, they're stubborn, they're heartless, they're hypocritical, you know, they're um, immovable where Jesus is this loving understanding character and so you what a christian is saying to another christian is saying like again stop being jewish we're not jewish anymore 
here's what Jews are. Jews are immovable and stubborn and hypocritical or whatever it is. We're Christians and we're not like that. So stop being this skewed version of being Jewish. So it combines two slurs in one. You know, one, don't be a Jew is mean enough. But don't be a Jew, meaning the Jew that I know, um, which is, you know, as a Christian, that a Jew is a horrible person, right? Um, and I'll hear, you know, no, that's not what we're talking about because there were, you know, Pharisees aren't all Jews. And we're talking about the Pharisees in the Bible, not the, you know, and I love Jews or whatever it is. I'm like, you know, um, that doesn't really work um, right. because besides the fact that all judaism is pharisaic judaism besides the fact that jews specifically the pharisees are portrayed horribly in the new testament besides the fact that the fact that 70 percent of jews during that time never met jesus never heard of jesus um mm. you know 70 percent of jews at that time lived outside the land of israel mm. right never heard of them right another 20 percent lived in israel never heard of them Ten percent may have heard of him, or nine percent, you know, may have heard of him, never interacted with him. One percent interacted with him, maybe. Um, you know, we don't even know historically, right? Right. And so, um, when Pharisees becomes Jews, and it does, mm. um, and it has, and it is, um, it becomes, you know, a global slur, and um, you know. To say to someone, don't be a Pharisee, to us is a terrible thing to hear. We are Pharisaic, um, mm. the real Pharisees, not the New Testament Pharisees, mm. right? We love oral law. We love talking to people. We love arguing. We love um, pursuing justice. You know, um, you know, we are not who the New Testament built us to be. Yeah. Um, just like, you know, if you were to say any other slur of any other minority, right? Is, right. Um, you know, uh, there's stereotypes and there's, you know, misconceptions and there's whatever it is. And that's powerful, powerful stuff. So much so that it really takes a lot of work to convince a Christian to stop using the slur. They're in love with the slur. People are like, no, I'm still going to say it. I, I, I understand that it offends you. I don't care because you're wrong. Right. Um, that's how powerful it is. Yeah. Um, and um, again, it's, you know, the, the, the line through it is basically, Hey, Christians stop being so Jewish. Jews are bad. Christians good. Um, and people say, no, that's not what it means. But the truth is, yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and, um, it would mean a great deal if, uh, Christians would listen to the victims of the slur rather than people defending the slur. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Totally. It's, uh, yeah. I think, I think a lot of people who are listening are like, oh my God. When you put it like that, you know, right. I, I think that we, I mean, I grew up with that phrase my entire life. It's just hardwired right. into my brain. And it was maybe a few years ago where someone was like, actually, you should think about what you're saying. I'm like, oh my heavens. Like now that you put it like that, you're right. It's a highly um, dehumanizing, right? And, and, and degrading term that, that, that really serves no purpose besides it being a commonly used Un, uh, unhealthy trope. Um, one of my, um, and again, thanks for spending time with me. I, I really appreciate sure. it. You know, we have, I got about seven, 10 minutes left and we'll get ready to wrap up here. And I do cool. think, by the way, 
at some point we have to do a round two because I'm just like, man, I'll, I'm trying to keep the big picture, but I have like so many other questions. Like, like how do you view Genesis one? Because that's where I get that's where I've been taught about original sin. But I've heard you say on Twitter, Jews don't believe in original sin. So I'm like, no. ah, you know, right. So anyway, anyway, a teaser for next time for sure. Okay. Um, one of my questions, maybe a little more experiential and personal. How have you seen? In our American political climate, have you seen a rise in anti-Semitism? Um, no doubt about it. Just in no general? Okay. Yeah, you know, again, I think Christians are just so, because people like me have so much privilege of both being a white male, but also being a Christian white male, um, we're really sh- sheltered from a lot of this, right? I mean, so much of it. And I, I think it's really important, especially for our community to understand that, like, we don't get to decide what's anti-Semitic. Like that's not that's not our call, right? Correct. That is that is Correct. Rabbi Mike's call to tell us, you know, hey, this is anti-Semitic, and also you should be aware of what's happening in our broader culture. So I wanted to make sure that I right. asked that question to kind of get uh, a temperature that, check. Yeah, yeah. So yes, undoubtedly there has been a dramatic rise um, in anti-Semitism. Um, you know, there is. There is always little bits of anti-Semitism which occurs in every country, in every nation, and it's been here in America, you know, since America's existence. Yeah. Um, and there's all kinds of books if you want to trace it, I can tell you about it. But um, since 2016, um, anti-Semitic rhetoric has been emboldened and defended, um, hidden, um, dog whistles. Uh, and so we have seen now a rise in anti-Semitic violence. We've seen um, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Um, people don't know QAnon is an anti-Semitic experience. Um, you know, hundred percent. It's hundred percent anti-Semitic. Um, the word globalist. When whenever you hear the word globalist, that's a dog whistle for Jews. Um, you know, because they can't say. Some people will. Some people will say Jews, um, but um, most of the political people um, up there, they can't say Jews. They can say globalists or, you know, or whatever it is. Um, I've heard the term cultural Marxist a lot. I feel I believe that, that cultural that's Marxist another one. Also another one, yeah. right? Marxists, um, New Yorkers, um, you know, East Coasters, uh, you know, anything but saying Jews. And so... What we've seen, though, is a rise in, you know, synagogue violence, shootings at synagogues, um, Orthodox Jews being attacked, you know, on a daily basis in Brooklyn and elsewhere. Right. This stuff doesn't make the news because Jews don't make the news Mm. uh, unless it's this huge, big shooting. And then it becomes, yes, a Jewish issue, but also a gun, you know, reform Mm. and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So, um, yes. And uh, personally, on social media, I've been you know, attacked, um, personally attacked as a Jew, attacked as a rabbi, uh, attacked on all sides. Mm. There are weaponized anti-Semitic groups on social media um, that can dox or can, um, you know, threaten. I've spoken to the FBI about death threats, um, as have many of, you know, the outspoken Jews. Um, And the sad fact about it that I have to mention is that all of this is coming from Christians, mm. uh, self-proclaimed proud Christians. Yeah. Um, and um, and then when we talk about it, right? When someone says, "Well, they're not real Christians," oh. that doesn't really help me. Um, right. right. You know, let's 
great. I'll let them, I'll let the FBI know that, that that guy's not a real Christian, but um, you know, right. what's real is um, there is enough anti-Judaism in Christian writings and anti-Semitism in Christian history. Mm. Make it very easy to slip into um, the ideas of being a crusader, right? Yeah. Uh, the crusader was not a good person. It was someone who, went to go wipe out Muslims and on the way decided to wipe out Jews. Mm. Um, but people proudly will put Crusader, you know, on their, on their stuff or on their truck or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and we see a huge emboldenment of that, um, that they're proud to do that. Right. Mm. We see Nazi flags proudly being waved or, or hung square. I mean, it's unheard of, right. I mean, from the greatest generation to now, somehow, uh, Americans can have put an American flag and a Nazi flag together and say they're patriots. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a very scary time for Jews. Um, mm. You know, there's a, there's a saying um, that anti anti-Semitism is the canary in the coal mine. Have you heard this? Uh, I don't think I have. Um, <clears throat> during the time of um, coal mine workers, they would keep canaries with them and when there was something with the air um or some problem with the gas or the coal mm. or whatever it is the canary would um would either die or be weird and so that would be the signal for them to leave mm. right um anti-semitism is the canary in the coal mine for any nation meaning that when anti-semitism rises more bad things are coming mm. right um you know, all minorities are in trouble. Fascism is rising. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all these sort of things. So when you start to see a rise of anti-Semitism historically in a country, including the United States today, um, anti-Semitism is the first step. Um, it's the canary in the coal mine that that has died, and you've got to get out of there yeah. or change it. Um, and the canary is long dead here in America and has been for years. Um, and so we're seeing a great deal of attacks on other people as well. Um, you know, great deal of fascism that's happening. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so, yep. um, yes, yeah, so we're, we're very aware of it and, you know, people can go to ADL, um, and, um, and see the statistics, um, you know, and, yep. uh, you know, it's a, it's a scary time. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing all that. Um, sure. Last question for you for for this uh, you know interview. And again, thanks for coming on. What is your um, there are as quote unquote new evangelicals? You know, uh, we're we're trying to find better paths forward in the Christian tradition, and that includes you know just trying to learn and and make the wrongs that we've been complicit in right, whether intentionally or unintentionally, because the impact still matters. And mm -hmm. you know, as someone who has who has been very much guilty of using um unintentionally but still have used them anti-semitic tropes like you know pharisee and so forth what is your advice to christians like me who are really kind of new to this conversation especially when it comes to the 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 christian jewish conversation how how do we move forward do you have any i mean obviously your book clearly i mean but that, that's a that's a given and of course i'm sure you have teachings but what are some What's your advice to folks like me who are like, hey, I, I'm so new at this. I'm trying my best. I'm trying to call out my own community whenever I see them use the term Pharisee. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. What is your encouragement or, or maybe advice for people like us who are just trying to do better but still very new to, the, new to, to this kind of conversation? You know, I think that um, 
you know, study really is the way to do it, right? Find a teacher or find some books to read, um, you know, get off the internet and read a book book, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because God knows what's out there um, and start to explore Judaism in a way that Christianity hasn't, right? Think of it as something separate um, that you want to learn more about from beginning to end to beginning to present day, rather. And, um, you know, take an academic look towards it um, and start to read about Jewish thought and Jewish philosophy, Jewish history. Um, start with first century if you want, right, to to write that sort of wrong and temple t- second temple history, whatever it is. But um, learn about the complexity mm. of Judaism, right, um, and let each book build to another book. Don't just stop and say, well, this is it. Now I know all about Judaism. Not even Jews do that. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it's a huge, huge, uh, curricula of, of, you know, vast, vast knowledge about Jews. And if you speak to one Jew about Judaism, you'll get one perspective, right? Um, one rabbi, one perspective. Um, you know, so ask questions, um, read books. Um, again, one of the reasons why I wrote my book is because while I've seen that there's Judaism 101 books everywhere, and there's some sort of, uh, books that respond directly to Christians and things like that. Um, I don't think anyone had ever had the patience to sort of, um, you know, bring Christians in and say, Hey guys, let's, chat for a second um and so if there are other books like that find them and let me know because i you know i i would love to recommend those as well um but you know grab the book and in the back you'll see all the references right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. highly 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 researched yep um check out those books check out those authors um check out those interpretations grab yourself a hebrew bible hebrew to english uh, Tanakh, right? Uh, grab yourself the uh, the Jewish annotated New Testament, um, where you know Jewish commentators will give you ideas about what's right, what's wrong about um, these interpretations. Um, open up to those new lessons for you and grow. And the point isn't to diminish your Christian belief or attack Christianity. Um, the point is to make you a better person, a better, um, a better Christian, mm. right? Um, Christians always talk about how their, you know, real Christians are loving. Well, <laughs> right. here's a way how you can be more loving, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. you know, do the work, uh, right. you know, and, um, yeah. So that's what I, that's what I would recommend. Yeah. I love that. And by the way, I want to agree with you. Your the tone in the book for a Christian is so accessible and honestly so gentle. Like, like, like you're I'm, firm when I'm you really you're firm when you need to be, but it's always in a way of like, hey, I'm trying to help you be a better human, like you just said, and you should be aware of this. And like, you know, right. I think I think about even the power dynamics, like how you don't owe Christians that, 
but you chose to do that. And honestly, it's incredibly beneficial. So, um, thank you. I'm glad. Yeah, Thanks. truly. So, the book, friends, if you're listening, uh, is Let's Talk A Rabbi Speaks to Christians by Rabbi Michael Harvey. You can get it pretty much anywhere books are sold. I know Amazon has it for sure. Um, I got it from you directly. You even signed it for me, which I have it right here. So, thank you for that. I've been doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I'm sure by this time, it will probably be out on audiobooks. So, um, Rabbi Mike, again, I, I can't thank you enough for the time. I, I really do want to have you back on at some point because I do have other questions. I would I, I like nerding out on theology. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it's a great conversation, so much to unpack. And I have found, um, for me, the Old Testament or you know the New Testament, it's still, there's just so many layers to what's happening. So any chance to try and unpack things and just discuss them is always helpful. So again, I, I appreciate your time and be well. Thank you so much. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.